スロットドーンシュYou've just got a crash course in Shiro Show because every week is like this. It's like, dun, 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 da da. You know, it's Mission Impossible and Pad. Like, we're just trying, you know. The it's, few- so jank. it's so jank right now. I'm, I'm streaming from a city. That's how bad it is. So, yeah, for anybody who's wondering, like, where the hell is Pat?、Uh, what's up with this kind of cobbled together uh, uh, overlay thing?、Uh, it's like half old school, half new school. Is what we've got going on is Pat is、uh, seeing family right now, right, Pat? Pat. Yeah, I'm in New York City right now, just、uh, waiting for reservations. So,、uh, yeah, right now I am、uh, just streaming from the city. Just waiting for a restaurant, so I thought I'd hop in the chat real quick and see what's going on. Yeah, so i、um, glad you could join us at least for a little bit. Yeah, so that's、uh, he、uh, he flew to the East Coast. I'm a little jealous, but、uh, it's okay. I'm still back here at home holding down the fort,、uh, just like he does when I'm on vacation. And we've got、uh, James who agreed to do this at the very last minute. I mean, like, I did not give him any. Time. I, I, it's actually kind of rude of me to ask you so late, and you're like, let me check with my wife, you know, <laughs> which is basically、yep. the boss. You have to get it cleared with the boss, but you did, so good. That's it, mate. I mean, you're actually lucky that I opened the DM because, you know, the time you'd message me, it's kind of like dinner time and kind of bath time and bedtime for the wee one to get her down for the night. So、yep. I literally just、um, checked it on the off chance, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll check. I'll check with the, with the missus and see if she's, she's good to. Good to go, and it was it all worked out. The wee ones went down about an hour ago, so I'm, I'm free here at half past, well, half, was it almost, well, quarter past 11 almost. Wonderful. UK time. Well, so I hope that you stay away. I'm good, mate. I'll be、yeah. fine. So we had no, of course,、uh, no plan.、Uh, <laughs> not any, we don't really even have that much news to talk about. I think. We、uh, we could plug our respective podcasts because that's pretty much all that's up on the on the Shiro website right now. Was basically, you know, this is the most recent episode that went live.、Uh, so, yeah, Shiro, we we just published an episode that we recorded back in February. Wow, <laughs> that's how that's how far ahead we are in terms of recording. We、uh, we recorded this、uh, 2D platformer episode back in February and it just went live to the public because I guess it went live to patrons like a, a month ago. Uh, but it's pure gex. The episode is just pure gex. It is.、Guess. It's hot, steamy gex.、Um, it was a lot of fun. It, that was a lot of、uh, fun recording that episode. You guys should definitely check it out on、uh, YouTube or Podbean.、Uh, we talk about a stall. We talk about gex. We talk about、uh, what else? Clockwork Night. And we also talk about.、Um, Darn it, Rayman, which I didn't put in the thumbnail、uh, because I, I forgot that we talked about it. And then we also talked about Tri Rush Deppy as well. So, a lot of cool little 2D platformers on the Saturn.、Um, many, many of them underappreciated at the time because everybody was all about 3D. But it was a fun episode to record. And so, you guys should definitely check that out. James, what's, what's the latest and greatest from the Sega guys? 
Um, well, we've just finished off. Um, we've done the Dreamcast Oscars, yeah. um, which was a lot of fun. You know, you really um, leaned into it with the suits, <laughs> mate. That that was that was Dan. To be fair, I mean, he said, you know, I, I've still got a dinner suit from a wedding I was at last weekend. He said, um, could could you get like a, a suit and a tie or like a bow tie or something to? When it's, it's the Oscars, we have to we have to tux up. So yeah, I, I remember I, I text my father-in-law because he was the only guy I could think of that I knew that would actually have that kind of thing. Um, that... Don't have any kind of formal attire myself. So um, I, I messaged him and I says to him, "I'm looking for a bow tie. Have you got one?" And he says, "I've got one. What's it for?" I says, "It's to do a podcast." He went, "So you're you're not actually going." to a social event I went no I'm, I'm recording a podcast about um, Dreamcast Awards and he just went I have got one come and get it after work it was like, <laughs> <He's> like <laughs> I don't even want to ask <laughs> no it's oh. not happening so um, it, no, no questions asked so I managed to get that and I it was it went well we did the kind of the kind of Oscar themed kind of the red carpet and the stage kind of background and we had a lot of fun with it I mean there was the hard part was whittling it down to the number of kind of awards, you know, Seriously. the number of topics, um, because like we could have had like we didn't even do best graphics, and uh, we didn't do like best sports game. So it was like best best arcade port, best fighting game, best racing game, best puzzle game, things like that. I think yeah. there was eight categories in total. Um, but the plan is to do a Saturn version and a Mega Drive version as well eventually. But um, I think Dan's actually handed the suit back in, so I'm not sure if you'll have to hire a suit specifically for the occasion. But yeah, I th that's funny. I thought one of you guys. I thought it was it had to be your wedding tux. You know, at least one of you guys. You know, and I was like, that that's clever. No, so, uh, you know. So congrats on uh, JoJo winning the best fighting game, right? Hi. <laughs> Mate, we didn't even nominate a Power Stone game in that category, which kind of got us a bit of feedback as well, because the way that we worked each category was obviously four games in each. So Dan put forward two, I put forward two. We kind of hashed it out on what's happened, kind of came to a consensus and what we thought the kind of winner was going to be. Um, and it wasn't until we kind of finished and we went, no one mentioned Power Stone in the fighting games. Like I know. It's like total blasphemy, <laughs> but I would. That's hard. Like anytime you do any kind of listicle with the Dreamcast of the Saturn, I'm just like, you know, it's easy at first because you can think you can easily think of ten or twenty great games, but then you're like, oh wait a second, I'm like for <laughs> leaving out like some of the best games, you know. So yeah, it's that's a tough one. And you're also doing you're also putting out uh, what is it some uh, racing pods, right? You're gonna be doing some Sega Rally. Yeah, so that was the one that went up on Monday. Um, Monday, okay. So, yeah, so what what we basically do is, um, as well as kind of supplement the kind of main podcast, so that goes out every fortnight. So rather than having a blank week in between, you know, Dan's a big big fighting game fan. So am I right enough? But I think Dan's kind of forty is more kind of beat em ups. So he's taken on doing playthroughs of fighting games. Um, whereas myself, I'm right into my Sega Rally. Everybody that knows me knows that. Mm -hmm. So I'm more inclined to go towards the racing game side of things. So yeah. from that was born the Sega guys fight and the Sega guys race. Mm -hmm. So in those kind of off weeks between the pod, we alternate. So it's like podcast fight, podcast race, podcast fight, that, that kind of thing. 
Um, so it's it's a turn of, of race to go out and it's Sega Rally 2 and it's it's doing quite well. Um cool. I think it's a couple of hundred a couple of hundred views, plenty of, you know, um interaction in the comments. So I great to see. So it's just about building that kind of portfolio of content so that people that do subscribe know that every single week there's going to be something new on a Monday. So that was the idea behind it. Nice. It's a great idea. Um I'm a lot like you. I would go towards the racing games, I'm sure. But not that we're gonna I, I'm not gonna copy your idea, but I would say Pat would definitely lean towards fighting games. He's he's all about the arcade sticks and the fighting games and I'm all about the racing games for sure. Um, but that's go. awesome. I, so you're right up my alley because I'm watching because uh, I love racing games and I love Sega so great stuff. Um, I, I do enjoy fighting games, but I'm, I definitely lean towards the racing stuff. How, I want to ask you um, when it comes to Sega Rally 2, what do you think? does it does it live up to? what you'd hoped it, hoped it would be see as i said in in the video the the harshest eyes are the ones that can only look back so it's like if you've got that kind of hooking nostalgia from owning it at the time the western versions are gimped and yeah. i do mention that in the video you know yes. i think they tried they tried to lock the the kind of frame rate there's code you can put in to move it to 60 apparently but it removes all the kind of foliage and scenery and all that kind of stuff it's just a bare track right um, and obviously the kind of very basic scenery and for me they just don't work the right. japanese version has it's not like an unlocked frame rate but it's it's allowed to be a lot more variable so there's points on sega rally 2 in the japanese version where you do see it hitting 60 fps but it then will drop down again so you will still get the stutters but it's not as harsh as it is on the american and especially the pal version because the pal version doesn't have a 50, uh, 50 60 hertz switch you can force it into 60 hertz by running it through vga but even at that it still doesn't come close to that japanese version just because it's got a kind of higher upper limit that it's allowed to try and reach so it kind of it's a kind of trade-off um but back in the day i had a lot of fun with it but i'm not going to sit here and say that it's that it's better than the the saturn game i mean the the, the saturn original was built from the ground up without using the sega graphics library mm -hmm. you know the, the cs team and, and mizuguchi overseeing them right you know to actually build <clears throat> sega rally a model 2 game from the ground up on the saturn to nail that handling that you are on any surface and you feel the difference between tarmac you feel the mud you feel the dirt the d-pad gets heavier without any sensory input it's a amazing bit of work that they've done so the windows ce development along with the fact that the game was one of the first announced on dreamcast so it was according to sega retro.org it was actually developed in tandem with the hardware so right. there wasn't actually the final dreamcast sdk so i don't know if that's what has led them to then use windows ce which has obviously led to the kind of problems because again as i mentioned in the video you know dreamcast can do three million polygons a second model two uh, model three sorry does one but as hideki sato said in an interview with edge um you know model three uses squares Dreamcast uses triangles, you need two triangles to make a square, so technically you're getting 1.5 million equivalent to Model right. 3, so it's 50% more powerful than Model 3, but then you've got VRAM and actual system RAM and all those things to take into account, but 
whenever you see F three five five challenge, whenever you see MSR, you see the Dreamcast could do a lot better than oh. Sega Rally Two did run. Yeah. So it's it's one of those ones that when I play it, I can still enjoy it, but. Mm-hmm. He always play it with that wee bit of regret that oh this could have been so much better. I mean honestly, Sega Rally, Daytona, and Virtua Fighter 3 TB. Those were the big three that I had hoped would come like, you know, when we were going to the arcades and we were seeing Naomi games for the first time, and then we found out that that was coming home and it was almost gonna be one to one. It was basically gonna yep. be one to one experience. They would be able to that was the promise that we were given, you know, for like a decade that of the arcade coming home and it was finally happening. And you you kind of saw diminishing returns in the arcade to the point where you didn't really need to go to the arcade anymore once the Dreamcast came out. Unless it was, you know, those special experiences like Initial D with the driver's license, you know, there or, uh, you know, there were, of course, there were like huge cabinets that you'd like to play in the arcade that had a more tactile, you know, like a big fishing rod or whatever. But for the most part, you felt like, wow, finally, you know, Saturn was great and did a really good job with a lot of those ports but finally this is this is the delivery on the promise and when we got those three games i was a little let down but i will say that sega rally 2 is probably the best of the three in terms of you know what it brings home that's me personally they, hey we can i can kick this off as a hot take i guess because uh, uh, a hot take, mate. yeah a because hot take. personally i did not like uh virtual fighter 3 uh the home conversion uh, not, I wasn't crazy about it. I loved it in the arcade. Get out of here. <laughs> and, and Peter agrees with me as well, you know. Um, yeah, no, it just like left a lot, left a lot to be desired for me. And then, and then also like Daytona definitely just felt wrong to me uh, on the Dreamcast. You know, it was like the graphics look great, but they changed the car models and just the vibe of the game just doesn't. I'm yep. just like they easily could have, they easily could have just ported. The model 2 version right and everybody would have been happy and they eventually did that you know on the playstation 3 you know so uh, it's just funny you know what we got with daytona is fine you know but uh it's not great the i was playing virtual fighter 3 last night on supermodel 3 okay and i've watched as a there's a guy who does comparison videos i oh, can't mind his name but he does like in a retro comparisons between the arcade and the home and he's got VF3 and TB, and he's he synced them up as best he can. Okay. Um, and looking at it, I I can't I can't see the difference, right? So I was playing VF3 last night on Supermodel, and obviously TB kind of changes some of the stages. So yeah. like Lau's Wall of China stage is a different time of day. Jeffrey's Beach is at night as opposed to during the daytime. Grundy's stage, there's meant to be a city in the background, but it's kind of more like a smog that's there across the the kind of the, the river. So there's kind of some subtle changes, but apart from it being a bit more like you can see that some some areas of the clothing, like Shundi's legs look as if they're a bit kind of tacked on in places. Mm-hmm. The fingers glitch whenever Akira does his, you know, oh, mada mada pokes your eye, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and he, mm-hmm. he flexes his fingers. There's some yeah. wee kind of there's some some wee kind of nuances in the hands and the models that look a bit kind of funny, but it's you've got to remember like Genki were apparently given six months to put that port together. And you know, Dan and I call it the Genki Defense Force because, like, again, I imported a Dreamcast. Literally, I, I remember sitting there, like, 
Virtua Fighter 3 was why I wanted a Dreamcast. Sure. Like, obviously, being a, like a, a Saturn diehard as well, the natural progression was to go there. Of course. You're reading Sega Saturn magazine, and you're seeing the kind of the stuff coming through from the new Challenge Conference, and mm-hmm. you no know, Virtua Fighter 3's coming home, and you're like, oh my god! Um, and when I got it with my, my Dreamcast in April 99, when I finally got my, my Japanese console, I was blown away. Like, to have that in your house was just at that time. Like you were you were going from playing at that time VF two, which is you know one of the the absolute best you know model two ports on on uh, Saturn. Sure. But then you're looking at like the best at PS two, uh, PS two, PS one was offering at the time, like your Metal Gear Solid that had like faces full of squares with lines for eyes and a wee line for a mouth and sure. walls that the textures warped and like the shadows were all pixelated and then all of a sudden you're going to a reasonably good representation of Model 3 in your mm-hmm. bedroom. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is mind-blowing. So um, I will respectfully disagree. It really on... was. It doesn't feel <laughs> the same. It doesn't feel the same, though. Like, visual, <laughs> visually, it's stunning, but it just doesn't feel right to me, you know? And I, I guess it's just... Uh... It's hard to it's hard to really put a point on it. I haven't. I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't had a Model Three to line up right next to <laughs> my Dreamcast. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could do that through emulation now, and I yeah. have not tried. So, uh, but from what I remember, just being so blown away by the Model Three uh, version. You know, of course, what we got on Dreamcast was better, or uh, objectively better than anything we would have gotten on the Saturn if they would have forced that, you know, to happen, you know, via some kind of, of you know, so I mean, you know, sure, it was, it was, it was probably certainly better, but for some reason, I just didn't feel like it was there for me, and I was just like, yeah, this just doesn't feel like the arcade version, but you're absolutely right, it was visually stunning, um, you know, and you're absolutely right about the Dreamcast, like, it, for for folks who are younger or don't know like how big of a deal that was because again like ever since the master system i guess you know ever since like early days with uh games like space harrier oh they brought home space harrier on the master system and it was a pretty great conversion all things considered and then of course genesis mm-hmm. you had michael jackson's moonwalker or sorry mega drive <laughs> present company <laughs> but yeah so you had <laughs> so you had ja- michael jackson's moonwalker and you had uh streets of rage 2 you know and uh, you had games that um what are some great examples of uh arcade games that uh well golden axe golden axe afterburner Afterburner. yeah so yeah those are all great conversions considering they're 16-bit they they don't strip that much away they they really leave the experience intact and that's what it always was with sega was nailing the experience not they may have to cut corners on the visuals but they always got the experience right which which brings me to my next hot take is that uh, CCE Daytona CCE is absolute garbage. <laughs> I would disagree there, mate. That that's are you allowed to swear? That's sure, yeah, you got, you can. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely. <laughs> sure there's some, someone else is sure. It's but, but shit, we're mate. gonna. I mean, to be to be blunt, it's it's brutal. It's really it, it looks great. It, yeah. If you could take that visual style of the courses. And then put the visual style of the proper cars in, and then right. put the right handling in. You'd have like the perfect package. Right. But it's as if they got the Sega Rally team to come in and like rebuild it, and then they just made an asset. It was <laughs> like, like what? 
I mean, we're going <laughs> to piss some folks off because uh, I know, I actually know quite a few folks who really like CCE, but most of them are folks who came to it straight without experiencing the original one first. Or like, uh, you know, like, again, like, believe it or not, even back day one when, when Daytona USA was released on the Saturn, we all knew the, about the pop-in, you know, it, it was impossible to not notice, you know, and uh, some of the, some of the, you know, it, so, you, you know, it isn't something that we're just looking at today and say, oh, that hasn't aged very well visually. No, it was like day one, you, you popped it in and you're like, wow, uh, there's quite a bit of draw in, you know, and, you know, certain things are a little janky, but the experience was there, you know, even yep. at, even at the low frame rate, that drifting, that, you know, really off the rails arcade drifting was there. And it, it, it's so, it did such a great job of bringing that experience home. My brother and I loved playing that game. And then CCE was like, they put this nice coat of paint on there, you know, but then they went ahead and changed car models or, you know, changed the, the textures on the cars, which nobody asked for. Uh, you know, they changed the music, which nobody asked for. Uh, you no. know, the, the frame rate, rate was great, but the handling was completely different, which nobody asked for. Literally, they, it's like, come on. <laughs> and then they release it on the Dreamcast, and once again, you know, like they just can't, couldn't get it right. I don't know. That was frustrating for me because Daytona oh, was yeah. like one of the games that made me buy Saturn and equally was excited about the Dreamcast, you know? I mean, that's the thing as well, Dave, about like, obviously Sega at the start had said that they didn't want to stigmatize Dreamcast as being an arcade port machine mm -hmm. like, like the Saturn was. But yeah, all they did all the press stuff, all the, the, the chat with kind of any interviews we're doing, like, as I said, Sato speaking to Edge back whenever Dreamcast was, you know, unveiled. It was all Model 3, Model 3, and they, they drummed that message home, this is Model 3 coming home. So it's little wonder that people's expectations went up to here, but then all of a sudden they go, no, we're not going to release arcade ports because we don't want to stigmatise it. So that port of Scud Race that we showed you as a tech demo at the right. Challenge Conference, oh, you're not getting that. No. Um, and then Daytona USA 2. How did we not, how did we get Daytona 2001 but not get Daytona USA 2? You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, or, or, even, or, or Power Edition, you know, the, the oh, one yeah. after that. Yeah. You know, which has got Mizuguchi's vocals in, in fine form as well. Um, and they add a, a kind of more traditional Daytona track to the start. It's more of a kind of oval. Right. Because I think if I remember in the original Daytona USA 2, it's like the, it's this weird kind of dome that kind of goes from like a, a tarmac track and goes through a kind of jungle area and stuff like that. Right, just, yeah. You know, I don't know what Sega were on whenever they made... <laughs> Like, because like yeah. Scud Race and Daytona 2, it's like lots of tunnels with fish and stuff like that yeah. behind windows with full of, oh, I yeah. don't know, it's... I mean, it's it started, just... it started with Daytona, right? You know, and you had, you had the 777 track, right? And it was, yep. the, it's the closest thing. And it's even really not close at all to real, the real Daytona, you know, uh, Indianapolis 500, right? But I mean, it's the closest thing to like a, an oval circuit track, right? And then it just Dinosaur Canyon and, you know, um, it just gets crazier from there. And then by, by number two, they were just like, forget it. We're not even going to try to pretend that this isn't anything like nascar or stock car racing it's literally you're just racing stock cars in the jungle <laughs> you know you're, but but that's what was so crazy about sega is they were off the wall with that kind of stuff you know it wasn't grounded in reality and and that made it great you know a lot of those arcade games 
were were awesome like that. I don't know. Uh, no, this somebody asked, is this a Dreamcast podcast? No, <laughs> but we 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 love the Dreamcast, so we end up talking we'll, about we'll, it. We'll just go everywhere because yeah. like I've got I've got a list of hot takes that I wrote down. And someone in the chat also went, uh, how are these hot takes? It's just an opinion. Well, a hot take has an opinion, so... Well, okay, so yeah, yeah. That, it, that's fair. <laughs> we even said, uh, so this is very much no script, and um, I even said to James, we might end up talking about whether these even count as hot takes, uh, because some if enough people agree then it's not really a hot take right um but uh but yeah so go ahead you hit me with uh what's what's your best hot take uh in regard to the saturn right well this is one that we're actually going to do a full pod on um but we can go into a wee bit here so and given the kind of feelings towards this system it, it kind of has its fans but it's also got people who are quite critical of it and rightly so so the 32X should have been binned and never have happened, which I think we can all agree on. But Sega should have then taken the games that they launched with the 32X, made them for Saturn and launched it in Christmas 94, giving them a head start of a year on the PlayStation. You would have had more stock because the 32X uses two SH2s like the Saturn. So for every 32X made, you were losing a Saturn. You would have mm-hmm. had the best console version of Doom. You would have had Star Wars Arcade. You would have had proper Virtua Racing, not the shitty Time Warner version. Hey, hey, hey now. Oh, I, so I don't disagree with you about the fact. So like, I think they're both good. Honestly, I think they're both good. And the folks at Time Warner did an amazing job considering they didn't have the source code. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're, and it adds a lot of content. So the argument there is that they give you a ton of extra content as collateral, but you're right. That when it comes to the controls, the the 32x one is like you know it feels like the arcade for sure you know yeah but uh, but so I think... just say <laughs> but yeah so so 32x bin do you think that's a hot take I mean I think a lot no. of people agree with you on that yeah I mean look, Tom and I would agree with it as well I would think after speaking to them as well but um, I I mean it's a, it's got its fans there are people who do enjoy it and it did sell well yeah. in, in, in North America it did it flew off the shelves initially and then it just kind of came right. shut until halt as people started to realise they should have been holding off but right. I just think if they had held off that little bit launched a year early would have given them time to flesh out Daytona flesh mm-hmm. out Virtua Fighter one a little bit although I love the VF one port on on Saturn anyway but. I just, it's one of those kind of sliding doors moments whenever you think that they were kind of almost cannibalizing their own stock. Oh, definitely. Having this add on kind of bastardized across the pond. So, aye, there we go. I mean, again, not maybe so much a hot take, but as a discussion point, and I think it's something that, as I say, we're we're going to go into it in a kind of lot more depth um, in a later kind of podcast as well. Yeah, it's a great idea. It's actually, funny enough, it's one that I've been meaning to get on editor's corner for a while and i just haven't lined everybody up because i want to get i want to get trekkies so okay so you've got my friend andrew mastercast uh, tv he's a huge 32x fan right also uh genovi is a huge 32x fan they they love the console i think they're probably realistic enough about the fact that it hurt sega more than it helped them but they love the console right and then you've got like trekkies who i don't think trekkies unite i don't think he hates the console but i think he definitely is one of those he totally agrees with you it was it was terrible terrible for sega hurt them 
and it, it's um it's not it's common sense you know that it shouldn't have been released you know so i kind of want to mm. get an argument not an argument but a healthy debate going about you know pros and cons and stuff like that but i mean i i mean definitely it cannibalized their own audience it uh it, it didn't help, you know, it's just that now there are folks in hindsight who kind of love it ironically or, you know, love it for what it is kind of the same way mm-hmm. folks like the Jaguar, you know, there are there like I had, yeah. <laughs> there's a handful of games on the Jaguar that are decent, you know, and if it, I don't know, maybe 10 games, I could probably name, I, I don't know, 10 might be too much, but there's a handful of Jaguar games that are worth playing. And uh, I don't know if that justifies ownership of the console, but there's definitely folks out there who are like nuts for the more proprietary or the more bizarre it, that it is. And it, I don't know, it doesn't get much more bizarre than like that mushroom cloud <laughs> attachment on, on the uh, on the Genesis, you know. I mean, I remember I went to a, a friend who who had got a Jaguar, and he handed me the controller. And yeah. if I remember, you used to get along with the cartridge, you used to get like an inlay that would sit over the buttons because it had like a like a telephone keypad in the middle sure. with all these bloody buttons. And you had to get these overlays to go on top of it that actually told yeah. you the, the controls for each. And it was Alien versus Predator. And I was like, the game looked great at the time, but I just couldn't control it with that bloody monstrosity of a controller. Yeah, it's terrible. That controller does not feel good. <laughs> And I'm like, just people, like the, people who the, defend it, like, I'm just like, how can you defend it? I mean, like, I own a 3DO and I quite like the console, but the pad is garbage. So it's like, if I'm thinking about playing Gex on the 3DO or on the Saturn, the Saturn is doesn't look as good as the 3DO version, but you get the Saturn pad, which is great, right? Mm. So it's like, that's a compelling argument to, to play the Saturn version, you know? Um, but yeah, so that... The, the Jaguar controller is ass. I, I don't know how people defend it. I really don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so yeah, we might piss off some folks off, but again, you know, it's the, the, the 32X is, is strange. And then even, even worse is when they, you know, started making games where you had to have both the 32X and the CD, the Sega CD or the Mega CD. So you'd have a, you'd have the cart and the CD in there, you know, and, uh, that that was just crazy, you know. So, um, okay, let's see here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the Shiro Discord because we ha- well, you know, if folks wanna give, if folks wanna mention like a hot take in the uh, in the comments, I'm more than happy to uh, to go through and and see if we can uh, read off some of your guys's hot takes. Um, let's see here. I want to pick on somebody in our Discord chat. Uh, let's see here. Pick on Dan. Scotty saying Jaguar controller, the Duke before the Duke. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) The Duke before the Duke. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of rally and Daytona conversation here in this, uh, all right, hit, hit me with another one of yours, and I'll I'll think of one. <laughs> I'll think of another one while you're uh, while we're talking about your next one, because I know you had a bunch. Right, I'm trying to. Th- what will we go with here then? What will we go with? Right, again, this is I probably just opinion, right? But I think that Last Bronx on Saturn is the greatest technical achievement of that generation. Th- you think that that's. 
You think that's true? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you, actually. Yeah, so I don't know if that's well, that, a hot take that, or not. That's not funny. So, so yeah, I, I, I thought you were, I thought you were saying the, okay, I thought you were saying that other people think that and you think that's ridiculous. No, I agree with you, actually. Um, I'm a huge fan of Last Bronx, and I think that it's a great, uh, I think that that's, that's really, like, aside from being incredibly popular in Japan, that's, like, mm -hmm. one of the things it does best is just show off all the cool things that Saturn could do with, like, VDP2, you know, um, all those different tricks, you know, um, Oftentimes, it's like unless you're looking at the arcade version directly next to the Saturn port, it's sometimes hard to, to you know, recognize which one is which because the Saturn one is so impressive visually. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, and it's a great controlling game. And to be honest, it's one of my favorite fighters on the Saturn, um, if not my favorite. So yeah, great, great who's, take. <laughs> who's who's, uh, who's who's your go-to? Who's your character? I like Yoko. I do. Really? I do. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, who's your Who's your favorite? Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Yeah, with the big stick. Yeah, <laughs> you just, you just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that take is too hot for is too hot for Bunny. Oh, Dan, does Bunny not like the not like that game? Oh, you know, you guys are big. They're big fans of uh, what is it? Uh, fighting vipers so aye fighting vipers is good in terms of you know it's obviously runs at a lower resolution but that's because it has to get the lighting effects into the lighting effects or on fighting vipers are absolutely brilliant you know mm -hmm. it's um you go whenever you're fighting sandman it's a kind of sunset it's got that nice kind of you know orangey yellow kind of glow to it you mm -hmm. fight jane and she's up in that kind of looks like an abandoned kind of top floor of like a like a building and the windows are smashed out and there's lights from the street coming in and stuff like that mm -hmm. um aye so no last problem is is a uh, obviously high resolution mode 60 fps mm -hmm. the ring doesn't float you know like obviously vf2 which is amazing you know, I absolutely love VF2, but there's kind of wee elements of that, like the ring floating things that whenever you, you play in, obviously, Last Bronx, and even in Fighting Vipers as well, that you don't get that kind of everything looks all joined together. Uh, right. that subway that subway stage in Last Bronx, whenever you just look at the ceiling and it just goes for miles on the platform, it's just everybody kind of at the time says and it's a kind of myth that some people or youtubers you actually see them repeating wrongly it's that last bronx has it's the first saturn fighting game with fully 3d backgrounds and that's testament to what a job right you know, because VDP they're not one and two are doing because <laughs> they're not yeah. they are not yeah, they but are they 2D, fooled, but yeah it's like people, people. Fool, I, I think people are mostly misremembering it, you know, because if you if you look really closely, you can tell that ah. it's not. But I mean, I think that it did a good enough job that people remember it as being like, you know, fully 3D, especially yeah. that uh, that scene in the uh, in the underground, you know, in the subway or the tunnel or whatever, you know, they it just the ceiling and the floor. It just looks great, you know, and they have the, the CRTs there, you know, the big chunky CRTs. Um, I, this is a really hot take, and actually, it's one that a lot of people share. I don't know. How, uh, so, Knight actually says, Knight of Dragon says, uh, his hot take is that Panzer Dragoon Saga sucks. And actually, oh. you know what's funny is he's not the only one who has a really Sigalore hard time with this game. Yeah, Sigalore, yeah, Mel doesn't really like yeah. the game either. And even then, he he's like forced himself to play it and has kind of come around on it. 
but it's not you know like a first love or anything it, it, he he gave he uh he returned the game when he got it and that yeah he returned his copy and then had trouble finding it until later you know um uh, but yeah no it's it's definitely a hyped game i will say that and of course it's hard to justify any kind of price that people are charging for it in terms of uh mm-hmm. uk or you know pal or or ntsc versions of it but uh but yeah what do you think about that the as a dragoon saga is a game that i get kind of up in my my kind of soapbox about because back in 98 whenever it was kind of previewed and it came out and obviously disc one somehow richard ledbetter got it on the front cover of of sega saturn magazine so within 10 minutes of me playing that demo I went on to gameplay, which was a kind of mail order telephone kind of order kind of games company, and I pre-ordered it. And it was thirty-seven ninety-nine, and I loved everything about it. I know you went from kind of Panzer Dragoon, which mm-hmm. was that obviously on rail shooting, more action based, but I think Saga, as someone who doesn't particularly enjoy JRPGs, I don't like Final Fantasy. I just I'm not a fan of it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for me to actually sit down and finish that back in the day, to enjoy it the way I did, I, I just love the the battle mechanics that they somehow managed to take that kind of, obviously, you know, you press the shoulder buttons on the first two games and you can switch your, your view around. They right. implemented that in a way into the battle system with the weak points. So you've got your safe zones and your weak point. So you, you to hit the enemy, you have to go into the red zone fire off whether you do your your chain lasers or your berserks or whatever like that and then get the hell back out of dodge the exploration didn't feel it didn't feel forced it didn't feel as if like like final fantasy 7 you're walking about that open world you would go two foot and it would go another fucking fight here we go it's like i'm fed (laughs) up with these, these battles and it's like i think panzer dragoon saga was a very user friendly rpg um, right. It mixed the ba- battle elements well. The morphing of the dragon to mix your abilities was really, really clever. But I think today, the problem I've got is that Panzer Dragoon Saga is overhyped because of its rarity. It's an absolutely fantastic game, but it's not worth what people are now asking for it, as you rightly said at the start there before we began talking about it. But yeah. it's like... <laughs> For a lot of people now, it's becoming more of a trophy and they care more about the clout of having it on a shelf or to take a picture mm-hmm. on Twitter than to actually play it. Like, I can load it on my Fenrir. I bought, as I say, I bought it when I pre-ordered it. I sold all my stuff in 2007. Whenever me and my now wife bought our first house, I sold everything mm-hmm. yeah. that I had. Um, so I don't know that need all this old stuff. I don't need, I've got an Xbox 360. I don't need this. Idiot. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, it's like I can load it on Fenrir, as I do now, and I can listen to that that intro music. I can hear the title screen music, you know, um, Behold the Glorious Wings or Behold the Precious Wings. Beautiful track. And I can be instantly taken back to whenever mm-hmm. I first played that disc on Sega Saturn magazine. Yeah. So my feelings towards Panzer Dragoon Saga are very different than someone who like someone shells out 500 quid for Panzer Dragoon Saga today I think they are going in with a different set of eyes and a different level of expectation to 
people who played it in 98 whenever, mm. let's be frank, no one cared about it. It wasn't given any promotion. It was one of the last run games on the Saturn, hence why it's so rare because the run was so low. So don't get me wrong. I love the game. still love the game. I'll, I'll always make a point of once a year trying to kind of go through it. Oh, nice. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a nice laid back. The pace is good. As I say, yeah. battle mechanics are great. So, I mean, if people don't like it, that's, that's fine. If they wanted Panzer Dragoon 3, which obviously we got Orta yeah. on Xbox, which went back to the, the kind of action routes, then fine. But no, I, I love, I love Saga. Well, I mean, I, I can't, uh, I mean, that's, that is definitely a hot take, I think, because I think it's an, I think it's a, a magnum opus, honestly. I think that it's an amazing achievement on the Saturn. Um, it's a wonderful game, played it multiple times, and I didn't want to like it when it came out. I didn't think that it was possible. Like, um, I was very much against the idea of turning Panzer Dragoon into an RPG. When I mm -hmm. saw the, the screenshots in OSSM, I was not sold. I was not convinced that this could work. You know, it just looked, um, it looked clumsy or it, lo it looked kind of like forced. I don't know. When I finally played the game and I was just like, aha, you know, I had the, a moment where I was just like, I get it. This is amazing. You know, that the models, the, the, all the, you know, enemy models and everything like that were stunning. Like the texture work was amazing. The way that it made you feel, the way that the game made you feel and really helped crystallize that, uh, that world building, you know, um, because you had some world building in the first two games, but really that's where a lot of the mythos and a lot of the world building comes from is Saga. It just did an amazing job of, creating that mood and that vibe of, you know, deserted wasteland and, um, you know, the, the way the map was, I don't know. There's just, I'm kind of speechless about the game, but honestly, I think it's a wonderful game. I think everyone should play it. I think nobody should even care how much it costs because I don't think that that should stop you from playing it. Same way. I don't think that, um, the price of snatcher should stop you from playing snatcher. Uh, one of Hideo Kojima's best games. I think I love snatcher and I play that game like once a year and the, I don't own a copy and I probably never will, you know, at this point, <laughs> but I mean, definitely the price of the, the price of the game shouldn't have anything to do with, you know, how good it is. Um, but yeah, yeah. for someone to straight up, say that it's trash um that is a hot take <laughs> i i do want to mention dan uh dan did say that he thinks fighting vipers is better than virtual fighter 2 <laughs> and i'm just like okay <laughs> i can't agree with you there and i do think that's a hot take but i'm not surprised because i know dan is a huge uh fighting vipers fan so well we got fighters mega mix so we can we got see fighters who I, yeah there you go you know Sometimes Best of I both think, worlds. Yeah, sometimes I think people just like certain games for nostalgic reasons or, or mm -hmm. um, you know, they have certain attachments to a game that go beyond uh, how well it performs or, you know, how much of a technical achievement it is, you know. Yeah. And Finding Vipers is actually a really good game. It's, it's slept on a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and it's still not that expensive, you know, in terms of games for Saturn, you know, so folks should definitely check it out. But uh, what else have I, I mean, missed? You, you, you were saying there about, you know, obviously different people have got different attachments to different games. It's like, like I think Virtua Cop 1 absolutely pisses on Virtua Cop 2. But, you know, it, Dan is of the opposite opinion. He okay. loves Virtua, Virtua Cop 2 because of the kind of the, the, the larger scale and the branching paths. But 
I just no, think I the visual style of one, it's, there's this iconic visual style of one. It just. It's very the, solid. The soundtrack, uh, the soundtrack's yeah. just so good. So good. I can understand what you mean. Like, sometimes the more you add, the more you lose the message. You know, the more you lose, like, the the original focus of what it is you know and virtual cop one is is or virtual cop <laughs> is it is it is just very pure you know and it's very much like that arcade experience virtual cop 2 brings uh you know it brings some improvements here and there but it is just more busy you know i, I don't it honestly it offers more uh more content it offers more value i guess you could say for people's dollar and back then that made a big difference especially with arcade games the big argument in magazines is you know oh it's only got three tracks or it's only got this many levels you know and that was a uh, you know over on playstation they're putting out these epic sprawling you know 50 to 80 hour campaigns, you know, and, and so people would argue about like, how much game are you getting here? Of course, with something like Sega Rally, the, we can all laugh because we're still playing it today, you know? <laughs> we're people still trying to shave Sega Rally. Yeah. They'll be, they'll be playing Sega Rally in 20 years' time when nobody's playing Forza Horizon or Grand Turismo, so there we go. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, somebody said, oh, Malenko said that... Uh, that G vector is better than Stellar Assault. Now I don't know if he was just trying to uh I don't know if he was just trying to piss Dan off or if he really believes that. But G vector is not bad, but it's no Stellar Assault, that's for sure. G vector is kind of like an on-rails uh just you going through a trench kind of like uh I don't know, Sylphid kind of shooter. Not not really though. It's more like first person's perspective whereas uh Stellar Assault, you have really free range of motion, you know, it's completely 3D. Um, I would have to go with Stellar Assault, especially now that it's been oh, completely that, that localized, is... right? Yeah. Oh, that's a, what a job that is. Absolutely superb. Oh my god, Dan is going to throw down right now with Malenko in the chat. Um, Just seen um, Dan Thrax there saying House of the Dead was great, despite the messy graphics, and he's he's absolutely spot on. Now, oh yeah, definitely. I was, I was, I was exchanging comments like well over a year ago and it was on a manx tt video and i went back to try and find it and i think they've been deleted mm. the guy i was speaking to claimed that he was a developer at tantalus at the time so okay. somehow we, we were talking about manx tt so obviously tantalus done that and then I, I kind of started talking about house of the dead in the comments and right. you know that the job that they done in manx tt it's a shame that that standard wasn't carried over to house of the dead as much as it does capture the feel of, of the arcade as a very messy looking game right and this, this guy came back and he was talking about like psygnosis obviously had a hand and they were play testers they're actually in the, the credits right um of, of manx tt so he was talking about you know how they were kind of play testers for that speaking about the relationship they had with them mm -hmm. you know and I, I rattled off the kind of names of some of the people that were in the the credits and this guy was all, he, he wasn't nice and he wasn't good. And then he mentioned and replied to me talking about House of the Dead that they were given three months to port that to the Saturn. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, some of those months. deadlines are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Some of the deadlines. <laughs> I can't find the comments. Thank you for the $2, Malenko. I'd let Dan win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right, though. House of the Dead. So at PRGE last year, uh, we had a large CRT. I don't know, it was like a 
27 or 30 in, 32 inch CRT, right? Set up with House of the Dead, two light guns, right? That was one of the, that was like a magnet during that whole show. Like folks didn't care about the graphics. They kept jumping on that uh, and and waiting to play it because everybody was having fun, you know? Like if you see other folks having fun with a game, it, it like it's it's attractive you know what i mean and uh and like it was it was just uh i was just looking at it and i was thinking like this game is just solid you know from an experience again it's that it's that you know issue of just bringing the arcade experience home no they didn't nail the the visuals they probably could have done better if it was in the hands of like team andromeda sure if it was in the hands of am3 whatever you know am2 they, yes, they could have made it look better, but they did a pretty good job, you know? Same with Manx. You know, like, I think Manx TT Superbike is a great uh, conversion. Doesn't look as good yep. as the arcade original, but again, it's it's excellent. I love it. Uh, it's a little wanting for content, of course, you know? You can race the course backwards, and you can race as a sheep, but, I mean, again, That's you know, right. <laughs> one more track could have, you know, really helped, but... uh. So I don't play Manx these days as much as I do like Sega Rally, but I still really appreciate it and think it was a good, uh, a good port. So yeah, I that, I agree with you. I that might be a hot take just because there's so many haters on House of the Dead out there or like Saturn House of the Dead. But the great thing about Saturn House of the Dead is for such a long time it was an exclusive, like a home exclusive, mm-hmm. right? You know, we did, uh, it, it took forever, you know, for them to like release that in any form, you know. I mean, it's it's what you said as well, though. Like, obviously, all the way back to Master System, they would bring a game home, obviously, Tantalus on House of the Dead, but that kind of Sega mantra of, mm-hmm. we'll, still, we'll still try to bring it home. It might not look how you see it in the arcade, but by God, it will feel the same. Right. And I think that, that that's that's always what, up until, like, kind of Dreamcast, never you were starting to see the visuals kind of surpass the arcade in, in a way. Mm-hmm. But... You know, they, they always nailed the feel. It's a bit ironic that whenever we got to Dreamcast, we got the visuals but lost the feel. You know, it's yeah, almost like a absolutely. flip. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Okay, here's a hot take. Scotty Moe, Scotty Moe for show, who also uh, streams on Twitch and folks should check out his, uh, his stuff. He says that Sonic Jam is the best Sonic collection released to date. What say you about that? I'm, I'll uh, be honest thank- with you. <laughs> like, I kind of agree with him, and I know I'm going to catch flack for that. There are a lot of ways you can play Sonic. Um, I, I mean, I have many of them, uh, whether it's on the console itself with a regular cartridge or, an, uh, you know, an EverDrive, or if it's, uh, you know, Sonic Jam or on the Wii, the, the Wii U. <laughs> like, you get literally, I even have it on the DS. You know, it's terrible there, <laughs> but I mean, you could play it on your phone. Uh, Sonic Jam is pretty solid, though. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's fair to say it's the best ever, um, but it's definitely great. And folks need to check out, folks need to check out. Um, here's a big mistake that folks make when they fire up Sonic Jam. They fire up Sonic Jam, pop in the virtual cartridge or whatever, and they choose original mode, which is precisely the the exact code that you got on the original cart right you know so it's just you know it's just as hard as the original one was or and it's just you know whereas if you put it in normal mode which i i'm sure some people are confused about that what's normal versus original well normal was the um the vision that they had for cleaning them up and kind of tuning them up and kind of 
I guess you could say releasing them as as a quote unquote HD remake. It's not they're not really upresed at all. But the the fact is they add some you know they add some things here and there, and they also kind of tune the difficulty a little bit. Um, and I think that folks should definitely check check it out in normal mode instead of just going with original because I think that's kind of like people's de facto choice without thinking about it. They're like, oh yeah, well, why wouldn't I want anything but the original? But you're kind of missing the point of that release then if you're doing that. You might as well just play the the cartridges, you know? Sonic Jam might not have the wealth of content in terms of, like, Master System games and, and Game Gear games that you're getting with the kind of origin stuff. But mm-hmm. that 3D world... Yeah. I know it's quite small and there's the collect a hundred rings and a certain amount of time and do your kind of lap, but <laughs> the fact you've got like the art gallery, you've got the, the, the theater. Yeah, you got like, the theater. You got Sonic World so, with you little know, run around area. Yeah. Like I, I remember like that was the first whenever I, I got Sonic Jam on the Saturn and went into the kind of movie theater. That's the first time that I'd heard Toot Toot Sonic Warriors. Yeah, and like I have loved that tune ever since. Obviously, for the the Japanese version of Sonic CD, but mm-hmm. um, I know Sonic Sonic Boom is good, but Toot Toot Sonic Warriors is is far better. That might mm-hmm. be a hot take. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I just you know we're, we're turning all opinions into hot takes now, Dave. That's the problem. Well, now okay, so so at the time, Sonic Jam didn't do great uh, because for a couple of reasons. First of all. Everyone wanted a, a 3D Sonic 3D. game. So it felt yeah. like a slap in the face. Take this instead, right? Also, it was a little too soon, right? It was, I mean, here we are. The, the, the Genesis or the Mega Drive itself was alive until and receiving games until like 96, 97, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so it was like games like Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles were just recently released on that system. And then here you're getting... It, if you look at it on its own merits, you're getting Sonic... Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles, all of that extra content taken on its own merit and forget the price, what it costs nowadays. It's actually a really great little package, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you're just judging it on its own. But the time that it was released, it was just kind of uh, perceived as just like, well, first of all, it was last gen. It was, it was literally just the previous gen, you know, mm-hmm. and not what anybody was really, you know, interested in playing, you know, so... It, that's that's why it didn't do so well um but but i mean nowadays in hindsight i think it's great you know it's mm. just it's a lot of content on one disc you know and i think it's quite quite cool and you get easy mode which my daughter plays it that's and true she thinks that she thinks that she's getting further in the game because that's, that's she actually have to go through all yes. three acts of each each zone you're you're right actually that's that's how I got my son started on Sonic was with mm-hmm. the easy mode on Sonic Jam. And yep. uh, it was like training wheels for him, which is funny. We didn't have that. We, we, it was just like, no. here's a hard game, slap you in the face. You're just going to sit in front of the TV, like two feet away from the screen, and you're going to play it over and over again until you get good. You know, that's just what it was for us. But uh, but yeah, for my for my son, it was easy mode on Sonic Jam that really got him into Sonic. And then from there... I just kind of let him play it on different platforms, whether it was like the Wii Virtual Console or whether it was the real thing, you know. And he loves it now, and actually does quite well with it. But uh, but it was that 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 got him into it. So there you go. Um, Kay thinks that uh, hot take is a hot take that it's overrated, and we shouldn't be using that term. <laughs> 
again, folks, we we just came up with this idea right before the show, okay? Because we didn't have any content. <laughs> so so we're just yeah. chatting Saturn. I, uh, I yeah. got asked to come on here with like two and a half hours notice. You no know, kidding. Like... No kidding. You you did me a solid here. I owe you one now, and you know, <laughs> I'll try uh, I'll try to make good on that <laughs> at some point. Um, <laughs> Let's see, exhumed or power slave for NA North America, I guess, uh, is underrated. I don't think brilliant that's a hot, hot take at all. It's that's, it's a it is a brilliant game. It's not known by a lot of folks, but I, there has been a res, somewhat of a resurgence just because of the night dive, you know, uh, version. So you know, folks are coming around to it. But yeah, it's a brilliant game, kind of a Metroidvania kind of thing. Excellent graphics, best on Saturn. Forget the PlayStation version, <laughs> you know. That slave driver engine is just oh my god. ridiculously good. It really honestly. is. Oh my god! And Why? It's one of those games. It's one of those games you really want to uh, plug it into like a hi-fi surround, you mm. know, like Dolby system, you know, and just the the gunfire and like the just the sounds of the Egyptian tombs or whatever, you know, that music, you know, and the the sound effects and stuff. It's great. I it's mean, it's a sensory experience. Folks should definitely play it like in the dark, uh, with the the music turned up to eleven. It, it's it's awesome. Uh, let me see here. Anybody else? Anybody else want to give us a hot take? Sorry if I missed it. I'm trying to scroll up and see if I missed anything, but uh, you can always because uh, we've got what another. If you got to jump off, I understand. I completely understand. It's super late uh, where good, you man. are. I mean, here's here's one. Right again, okay. might be a hot take, right? Okay. But every time we kind of put any tweets out about the kind of Saturn launch, whenever we had Tom and Al coming back on, and we were kind of putting little clips out, you know, obviously Tom doing the the kind of the the, the enforced. Saturn launch, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people always, there's always some smart ass PlayStation fanboy who drops in the 299, right? Yeah. Sony are very much accused, and Peter Moore used the term FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, which is mm -hmm. what they've, and they're continuing to do it even today with this whole Activision Blizzard nonsense that's going on. But this whole 299 was the birth of Sony's FUD. Because, <laughs> right, and I, I've always hated the fact that nobody ever called that out, right, because straight away, it was very clever, you know, Steve Race goes up there and just goes 299, oh, yeah. and then mm -hmm. that's that, but do you get a game? No, that's 50 quid. Can you save games on it? No, right. that's another 30 quid for a memory card, so the gap wasn't $100 or 100 quid, mm -hmm. which has annoyed me since my teenage years but they couldn't get back up on stage and be like but wait <laughs> you know it was like their turn was over you know i said i told honestly Tom marching back on from behind the curtain wait a minute it's like i don't know what happened i mean like sony was just brilliant to poach him from sega honestly and i don't think out. anybody this may may or may not be a hot take but i don't think anybody really gives or talks about Steve Race and how much of a difference he made to Sega uh, pre-Saturn, you know, and how much of a difference it made when Sony got him, you know, because Sega's marketing completely changed, you know, and the way yeah. that they, you know, it's like they were scrappy during the Genesis Mega Drive years and they were winning over market share and they were uh, just really 
their advertising was just really effective, you know, and then it just became completely impotent after they lost Steve Race. And Sony, of course, having Steve Race, you know, that, you know, they picked up a lot of that stuff. You know, they're like, this, these were great ideas, you know, let's steal them, you know. And again, they, they did, you know. And uh, I don't think anybody gives that enough credit, you know, or talks about it enough. It was a huge deal that they lost Steve Race, you know. Um, unfortunately, I think that Sega should have done whatever it took to to hold on to him. But that's that's pretty much what Sony have have done since they came into the business. So they've yeah. literally just whatever Sega done in terms of marketing and things like that. Yeah, they just took those ideas and threw a lot more money at it. Mm -hmm. They can you know, they can just it... keep throwing money at problems. Exactly, you're right. Yeah, so. yeah. and Nintendo has money but they like to hold on to it they don't like to spend it <laughs> that's their thing you know nintendo wow. has like cash reserves for days or for ages really but uh but yeah they've always been a very you know reserved uh japanese company you know uh from from a business standpoint and they don't really like spending money they like working with off-the-shelf parts and you know working with older stuff you know really really uh squeezing as much blood as they can out of a turnip in terms of hardware and stuff like that and again like it doesn't matter because they've got these solid franchises that people will play it on a potato <laughs> you know they'll play zelda <laughs> on whatever you give it you know um yeah sega didn't really sega didn't really have that I, they had a bunch of brilliant franchises but they were Unfortunately, they were determined to not use any of their franchises on the Saturn. No. And then they're like, for the Dreamcast, they did it again. They're just like, yeah, all those brilliant franchises, let's just uh, go in a new direction and give you semen. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, there's there's something Scotty in the chat says as well. Doesn't know if this is really a hot take, but Saturn 3D controller is better than Dreamcast controller. Yes, you are oh, yeah, spot yeah. on. Oh, you are absolutely. I mean, look at the Dreamcast control. Okay, so <laughs> Dave's, oh. Dave's in Blue Peter mode. Here's one I prepared earlier. So I did not, you know, but uh, but yeah. So it's like people people talk about the Dreamcast. Because of the hall sensors, you know, uh, or like, uh, I mean, I don't dislike the Dreamcast controller, but I think what I love about it is all based on nostalgia, you know, versus like practical. Like, I don't like the fact that it beeps at me every time I turn on my console. <laughs> I don't like the fact that the, that the VMUs suck battery so fast and uh, constantly have to be replaced. I think that it's, I thought that it was neat for a second that the, the cable comes out of the bottom. Uh, this many years later, I hate it. <laughs> just like, so yeah, it, it was very cool when I got it out of the box and was like, oh, that's, that's different. Yeah. Well, for a reason, nobody else thought that was a good idea. <laughs> you know, um, what else? This D-pad just blows. This D-pad is terrible. That's awful. This how, D-pad. How, how loose are your D-pads on your Dreamcast controllers? Like they, they just like that, that Saturn 3D controller still yeah. feels as clicky as when you got it but the dreamcast ones just get really really loose it's funny considering they owned that considering they owned this you know and why why would they why i don't understand why they would go to this like because that just made this controller basically useless for fighting games 
you know, they had this wonderful, uh, this button. wonderful D-pad that came from the Japanese Saturn pad, and they brought it over here to the 3D control pad, and it's perfect. And you've got these buttons. The, arguably, this controller is great for any kind of game. You know, even if you put it in digital mode, you've got a so like. I only have two wired pads hooked up. One's the Japanese D-pad, you know, and the other one's this one. So it's like if my son is playing a fighting game with me, one of us just takes this and nobody complains. It's not like the crappy yeah. controller that you give your friend when you want them to lose. You know, it's like this is just as good. You know, I, I can reach all these buttons and do combos really quickly. And these shoulder triggers, the shoulder triggers are great for racing games, of course. So, you know. That's the crazy. build quality is is definitely better on the 3D controller. Like again, I think a lot of the kind of like, I don't have any issues with the Dreamcast controller, but I think like what you said, Dave, there's a lot of it kind of rooted in nostalgia. Yeah. You know, whereas like if I if I have a good run on Crazy Taxi and I'm playing that for like 45, 50 minutes, like when I come off, I've got claws for hands. Oh yes. You know, at, yes. at the end of it, it's like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You, you, it's true. I mean, actually, even the 3D control pad, when I'm playing Knights for long score attack sessions and I'm really trying to like improve my own best score, I do end up getting like cramped and thinking like I'm going to have carpal tunnel or something like that. But I will say there's one thing about this. So you have this little nub here with the 3D control pad. Sometimes mine, and I, I probably can't get it to do it right now, but sometimes it gets stuck. It gets stuck mm -hmm. in that position right there. Um, and I probably need to tear it apart. Um, but the Dreamcast one doesn't do that, I will say. So there's one thing that Dreamcast has going for it is I, I don't believe that this analog pad has ever gotten stuck in a position or something like that. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I also don't like the, the fact that Dreamcast opted for like the SNES uh, diamond but uh, button mm -hmm. arrangement, you know? What was and they wrong? Made the buttons a lot smaller as well, you know, it's yeah. like compared to the 3D controller. Right. Yeah. So you have other consoles like the Switch that have like really tiny buttons, you know, or uh, or even like the D when I first got my DS, that was tough because I was used to like a Game Boy with the big buttons, you know, and you get the DS and it's like the buttons are really tiny uh, and it took a while to get used to. But yeah, like what was wrong with like the arcade? Were they just trying really hard to move away from their arcade heritage? Because this is this six button layout is perfect for arcade games, you know, and I just don't understand. The, like when talk... it comes when it when it comes to Dreamcast, Dave, the, the you were saying that why did they why did they make that decision? Mm -hmm. It's because they were stuck in this mindset of needing to not be Sega. Yeah. Like, yes, yes. In effect, the, the Dreamcast is Sega's attempt to be more PlayStation. Yeah, it's almost which like... I, which, and I think that's why a lot of... Because me and Dan have this chat as well. There are Sega fans, and there are definitely Dreamcast fans. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely... The Dreamcast fans... Not saying that there isn't Sega fans who also love the Dreamcast, but there's there's a kind of you can tell the people who came from PlayStation to Dreamcast right. and yes. didn't have a Saturn. There's a different mindset, and they there's a lot more romanticizing. I think about you know Dreamcast and its innovations and things like that. And they did do a lot of innovating, but right. I think that the, the Dreamcast definitely tries to be more PlayStation, and I think that it's as if they just tried to abandon all kind of like, it was like a kind of severance point, right, from everything there, bad. 
from this point on, it's a white console when we totally redesign the controller, no six buttons and... I mean, I think think it's got an identity crisis going on for sure. And I think that Mm -hmm. Sega was in this kind of like focus group mindset where they're like, tell us what you want us to be because we don't know who we are or or, or we know who we have been, but it hasn't been working great for us. Maybe they're looking at all the wrong things. You know, they're thinking that it's who they are that's the problem when really it's just certain terrible decisions that anybody with half a brain could point out, you know, that they've made. But I mean, as, uh, you know, it's got four controller ports. They're they're copying the N64, right, on the front. I don't think that that's a bad thing because they went ahead and released a bunch of, you know, multiplayer games that really made use of that. Like the Power Stone games were awesome, you know. Um, Outrigger, you know, there, um, you know, uh, countless games that made use of the four controller points ports. So that's fine. But again, it's definitely, so- I mean, Sony didn't do that. They still release PlayStation 2 with two controller ports, and if you want multiplayer, you get a multi-tap, right? But so it's like they were taking and copying little bits of what everybody else was doing and just hoping yep. that it would, you know, be a win winning combination, I guess. And and so yeah, you do I do get a sense where they kind of, you know, forgot who they were. But one thing is clear. One thing is clear and remains the same, whether it's Master System, Mega Drive, or Dreamcast, and that was that they were always ahead of, they were always way ahead of uh, everyone in terms of technology and innovation. Yeah. Master System, you had things like the 3D glasses, you know, and you had the the with the mega drive you had the module on top you know the converter so you could play master system games backward compatibility like that and then you also had uh you know uh, well they had the mega modem in japan we didn't get that but i mean there were other things that were definitely and then saturn you had netlink and you had the vcd card and you had built-in memory and you had all these amazing things about the saturn then of course with dreamcast they brought us real online multiplayer gaming you know uh too early i would say even though it was phenomenal and i have wonderful memories of playing pso and stuff like that it was just sony was like okay well we're just gonna watch what you're doing bide our time and then in a couple years we're going to hit college campuses really hard and sell the broadband adapter for the sony playstation and so calm and and that's what they did when i was in when i was in university Sony was on campuses at the freshman orientation saying, here, have a free broadband adapter for your dorms, you know? And uh, it was so cheap because I, as a huge Dreamcast fan, I was just like, I hate you guys. <laughs> like, I mean, this is brilliant, but I hate you for doing this, you know? I've been, that's that's yeah. the exact same as what, again, Sega did with the Genesis. Yeah. If you've watched, there's a, a Netflix documentary. Um, it's a, oh, what's it called again? Kind of, it's not it's not console wars. It's a it's a kind of series of different kind of. One of them is the Sega, and then one of them is Nintendo. Other ones Atari hmm. and stuff like that. But okay. on this on the Sega one, they've got Tom Kalinske on it, and he's kind of talking about the the different things that obviously right. the, that they did to take on Nintendo. And one of the things that he actually says is we had no you know pun intended. We had Sega guys on college campuses, and we literally had them sent new games and they were mm-hmm. more or less paid to go on college campuses and, and promote Genesis. Yep. It was a brilliant you know, idea. Uh, I'm sure Steve Race know, had something to do with it. <laughs> probably. You, you know? know? So because uh, yeah, no, like um 
that's that's the thing is Sony like they okay I'm gonna defend them for a second here they were open to the idea of working with Nintendo they were open to the idea of working with Sega you know and they were for a time and then those things fell out so they just threw their hands up in the air and said F it we're gonna do it ourselves right yeah once that happened they're like well you know what are we really good at spending money (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we're not going to try to you know uh we're not going to try to you know uh, build up uh staff from our own farm team or whatever we're just going to steal theirs you know <laughs> yeah. you know you have a brilliant employee who has uh led to you know a certain amount of market share you know gained over like the last couple of years we're just going to steal him you know we'll just offer him more money and they could do that because it's like you and dan said they it wasn't just games for them. It, they had years and years of relation, uh, relationships with uh, retailers. They had leverage because they could threaten. I mean, they could literally say, well, we've, we're already uh, giving you X amount of product in all these different categories. And, you yeah. know, uh, so I it was just like, they could just lean on that, on those relationships and on the leverage they built. And, uh, and they didn't have to really worry about whether the game thing uh, fell through because they would survive on all the other stuff that they had so it was just really kind of just like plant we're just playing at this you know and we'll see what happens and if you throw enough money at something like that then you know it's almost impossible to, to fail <laughs> you know? i mean you look at the the hideki sato interview as well that was dug up was it last year yeah um, and sega, sega 16 did that brilliant translation on it mm-hmm. and it was basically, you know, like Kutaragi going to Hideki Sato and saying, you know, just give up Sato-san. He did. You know, That's right. You're, you're, we, we, we have factories. We can build CD-ROM drives. We, you know, we can, we've got the manufacturing plants. We've, we can build an SOC. You have to buy your chips from Hitachi. You have to buy, you have to buy your memory from, you know. Yes. You, you, you're, you're spending all this money to build it and we can just, just give up. Like, no, don't, don't give up. Please don't give up. It's like, yeah. They had a mutual respect, you know, for sure. Yeah. And they had this relationship. And, and I, I just thought that was brilliant. A part of the, I mean, I, you know, he, he's being honest. He's just like, look, it's going to be an uphill battle for you. And we're, we're going to win, you know? And he was right. You know, I mean, the, the other thing is Sony just didn't make a lot of mistakes. They made good business decisions. It pains me to say it, you know, because I'm not a well, Sony dude. or PlayStation hater, but it pains me to admit it because to admit that is to admit that, you know, my company just went completely down, down the toilet uh, at, you know, at the hand of this other company that just completely got the better of them at every turn. And it was because they just didn't make mistakes. Se- Sega awesome. made so many mistakes uh and 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 folks often say it's not one thing that could have you know that if you change could have uh you know changed sega's fortunes it's multiple things that they would have had to do differently because there's just so many misman so many cases of mismanagement you know i don't this might be a hot take but i don't personally think that tom kalinsky that tom kalinsky deserves as much um i or or hate as he gets you know for his contribution Uh. to the failure I um I don't think that he was a perfect CEO, but I think that he did a lot of things right. Um, and I'm not giving him a complete pass either and saying, oh, poor Tom, you know, because he didn't do everything right. But it is true that his hands were tied in a lot of scenarios and that he was very frustrated at that point uh, working with Sega because, the, you know, he just they weren't getting games. And uh, 
they weren't, you know, SOJ just wasn't working with SOA. You know, they just weren't working together the way that they had previously. And, I, you know? It's like up to a certain point, and I, I'm sure I asked Tom and all this whenever we spoke to them last, but, you know, I always wondered, you know, Obviously, Sega of Japan gave Kalinske a lot of kind of leeway. They oh, allowed yeah. him to drop the price of the Genesis package and Sonic, you yeah. know. So up to a certain point, they allowed Sega of America to pretty much make the decisions for the American market. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, Saturn launches in Japan, and, you know, they, Sega were very smart. They siphoned off kind of a bulk of stock. They kept, I think, 300,000 units by for PlayStation launching. Mm -hmm. Kept 200,000 to 250,000 for launch, and those sold out. But whenever... So they, they were clever. They had, like, a, a bulk of stock there. So always wondered, did, did Sega of Japan look at Sega of America slightly enviously? Because the job that the Sega of America had done in making the Sega brand a success, you know, mm -hmm. a market leader. Mm -hmm. It's something that Japan had never managed to do. Mm -hmm. So I always wondered, was there that bit of animosity there from Sega of Japan that yeah. you've taken our technology and you've made it more successful than we ever managed to? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to Saturn, we've sold out at launch. We've got a hit product and you will launch it when we tell you. I just always wondered yeah. because the, the dynamic just changed so suddenly. It's spec. You have to speculate about that because uh, I mean I think that I think that it's entirely possible, but we don't know for sure. What we do yep. know is that Sega of America wanted to do some things that were really stupid, like putting out the 32x, right? And so the Japanese folks were just like, okay, you guys are really hot on this 32x thing, and I guess we'll put it out, but this is really stupid, you know. And it was really stupid. And then they're like, yep. you want to do, you want to make this. Sega Pluto console that's like a combination the, of, of the Netlink thing. Should, it? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, and, and, they, and they demanded that Sega of Japan make it, and they even wrote on the board, this is stupid. You know, they, they wrote like a little <laughs> message in Japanese that said, what is this? This is stupid. Uh, so, or, you know, paraphrase, but essentially, they were just like, this is ridiculous. It's going to cost, it's going to be prohibitively expensive. We can't make this, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, because because Sega of America was so insistent. So I do think that, and you know, Sega of America spent us into a deficit and hadn't turned a profit yet. You know, I pissed Tom off with that question. I was just like, um, I recognize that the game you were playing was the long game. You were looking at install base over a long period of time, and that when that, uh, you know fruited you'd have a bunch of software sales you know with with a huge install base and eventually you would turn a profit and he was just like listen buddy I, we made sega a ton of money you you can listen he's just like <laughs> i was like i hit a nerve there but i was like but when did you expect to become profitable because at the point where sega of japan basically took away the the remote from you <laughs> you still had it it hadn't turned into a profit you know it's you were still operating at a deficit which was just like the the american way to do things is you know um get the install base first uh you know get get take out loans you know work at a deficit until you can turn it around and again he wasn't worried because he had done that with companies like mattel you know he had yeah. he, he was like i know what i'm doing you just have to give me enough time to execute my strategy and again they got too uncomfortable with it they were like i'm sorry like this 
I don't, we don't see on the spreadsheet where this starts to chart up, you know? <laughs> uh, so, and we're losing bleeding money and hemorrhaging money left and right. right. So they were just like, you know, let's, let's just take, take away the control from him. And, uh, you know, so that, that's the thing is I, I feel like they really didn't, they didn't have that faith to allow him to do the same thing at Sega that he did at Mattel, you know? Um, whether or not he would have, you know, I'm not saying that Tom Kalinske was the savior that, that, uh, that the Saturn would have needed, you know, but I mean, he definitely turned things around with Genesis and, well, and certainly, um, yeah, certainly stole that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, and well, that's another thing too, is I don't necessarily think Bernie Stoller necessarily deserves all the hate that he gets. Cause he did some. He did some good things too and i mean again he he really was behind the eight ball when he came into it you know so it's like who would want to who would want to inherit that you know <laughs> i don't know i that. think when it, when, when it comes to bernie i think the the issue was that he came in and he said no rpgs but yeah right. he just helped playstation launch final fantasy 7. right um obviously you know the the egm interview saturn's not a future the five point plan that games only passing this would be allowed to be released and then right the big the big one is that from what i've read and people can correct me if this is factually incorrect but it was Bernie who wanted the RRP for Dreamcast to be two hundred dollars, not two fifty. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, already there was talk that you know uh, Isawakawa particularly didn't want to launch Dreamcast. He'd already been lobbying with uh, Nakayama and then Idemajiri San after mm -hmm. him that we need to get out of this hardware business, and he signed off on Dreamcast, but it was never. It wasn't like. 100% behind it and then right, yeah. you know so you, you take the R&D for that and then you know barely pushing for this one nine nine ninety nine price tag and I think people blame the Saturn for tanking Sega but you know I think in the end it was Dreamcast that kind of was just a step too far yeah I mean uh hot take again but i think if the dreamcast had a dvd uh rom drive i would have sold more like i sold a lot of dreamcasts i sold a lot of playstation 2s but i would have sold more dreamcasts if if it had had a dvd rom drive and folks would not have had the mill cd exploit and you know as a result uh i think that uh it wouldn't have been host to so much piracy early on you know um but yes, dave 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 sorry. can i just sorry please mate See, that's the, the piracy argument. This always makes me laugh. Right, right because at the time, uh, folks weren't how really... that technology sitting in their bedroom and burn Dreamcast games? What, CD? Mill CD? There was right, the Utopia had... boot disc. Uh, but who had, who had DVD burners in 2001? Well, no, you're right. So that's the <laughs> thing. is If it had a DVD drive in there... Folks, they would have had a comfortable shelf life for that console right. before folks ever figured out or got had the means of burning. That's what I'm saying is like because they right. use the mill CD thing, which like very few things actually end up using, you know, it just opened itself. Not only did it open itself up to piracy, but it also didn't have a DVD drive, which I'm telling you right now, I had um, with the PlayStation 2 when I worked at Circuit City. It was kind of like the Wii, you know, with the Wii, when that came out, you had grandmothers buying it. You had people who Bye. didn't even buy video games and they were like, I want to play bowling. That's it. And they'd pick up a Wii just so they could play Wii bowling or Wii tennis. And I had folks coming into 
the uh, Circuit City, going over to the DVD sec uh, DVD uh, player section and saying, oh my God, this Panasonic costs, you know, $400. Oh, wait, over in the game section, there's a PlayStation 2 that plays DVDs and comes with a remote and everything. They're like, sold, you know? They had no plans on playing video games on it. They just wanted a cheap DVD right. player. And so, you know, I, I really don't think that that can be understated uh but unfortunately it is what it is you know we are we are actually coming right up on time and um i i gotta i gotta get going so it's been wonderful having you on james thank you for you know thank you for having this chat and uh humoring me at the very last minute i really owe you one no problem <laughs> i've enjoyed hope, it hope, yeah I hope, it was I, hope the, the, hope the viewers have enjoyed it I hope they have. And honestly, I feel like there it's never enough time, right? Because I could talk to you about this stuff for another hour, but it's late where you are. And, and I, yeah, I got to get going. It's movie night for us. Oh, speaking of movie night, uh, Shadow Mask has a, has a movie going on tonight, uh, streaming a VHS. Uh, you mentioned it somewhere, but go ahead and mention it again in the, in the uh, chat, Shadow, so that uh, uh, Death Mask tonight. Wait, the game? Or wait. Is there a movie called Death Mask? Am I am I missing something? Uh, <laughs> anyway, oh Death Wish. Anyway, uh, Shadow he streams uh, he streams VHSs every Friday night. So uh, okay, it's Death Wish tonight on VHS. So check that out. Uh, he can drop a link uh, in our chat here for folks to click through to after this stream. Um, but anyway, yeah, thanks James again. Hopefully I can get on uh, with you guys at some point. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and read out our patrons uh real quick we've got uh shouts to daniel frederickson theron brown david zaney sega steve chris 199 or 17 1997 xx stone man justin nate lawrence a murder of crows k gem clash or rank cerulean normal guy robert ramsey nutrageous blue moon 95 tanuki trev johannes fetz uh rowan dinked that drunk friend otaku <laughs> Derek Pascarella, aka A Team, Mamdu or Memphis. We got Emerald Nova and of course Young Money Sui. We thank all of you guys for supporting us at the $10 or up uh tier. Uh we really, really do appreciate your financial uh patronage. And for everybody else, we we definitely appreciate you as well. If you can't afford to support us regularly, no biggie. Uh just go ahead and like the stream and maybe share it with some friends. Uh help folks uh, find our Discord so that they can join this community. Shiro is 100% about building the Saturn community and helping kind of like, you know, preach the love of Saturn and love of Sega. Um, as our, our friends here in the UK, James the Sega-holic and Dan the Mega Driver, uh, wonderful content, wonderful podcast. Check out the Sega guys. They're, uh, they're just hitting you with constant contact content almost every week. So uh, if you're a Sega fan, you're basically on cloud nine with everything that's coming out. Um, check out, check out our podcast. We do stuff too. <laughs> and I think it's pretty good. We, we do the editor's corner, uh, which is kind of like this. We're just, you know, shooting the breeze based on our memories and stuff. And then of course the mainline podcast released, uh, uh, bi-monthly. So just basically once every two months, but, uh, Peter is heading that up. And then, um, and then we got Shiro show every Friday where we just fly by the seat of our pants and <laughs> deal with audio issues and, and all that good stuff. Um, Trekkies, you did you did just catch the end, but go ahead and listen to it because it was actually a pretty good show today. Um, so again, thanks to everybody. Um, and uh, go definitely sub to the Sega guys if you haven't. 
you're missing a trick if you if you are, are sleeping on the sega guys so definitely check them out and until next time this is the sega holic and saturn dave reminding you that you must play sega saturn until next time peace there you go Shoot!